0: Hello and welcome to Night of the Demons, I'm uh, the writer, uh, actually I'm not the writer on this, I'm the director on this one, uh, Kevin Tenney, and sitting to my left is...
1: Jeff Chofre, supervising producer.
2: And I am Walter Joston, executive producer.
0: And uh, as you may or may not know, we all worked together for the first time on Board*, and this was our second project together. And uh, we were just talking about the fact that the music here, done by my brother Dennis Tenney, who also did the music for Witchboard, is very out there and cutting edge, very synth. And one of the things that I thought of when we did Witchboard was that it had been a very gothic score, and I sat with Dennis and said, these characters are all kids, and they're very punky, punk rockers and stuff, and we should go for a synthesized, hard rock, way out there kind of score. and now when I listen back to it I think oh my god where did I have the balls (laughs) to come up with you know this kinda score I would probably never have the courage to do this kinda score now and Dennis says the same thing he would probably never have done something like this if we weren't young and foolhardy but it really I think works with the film and is probably this the score I get asked about more often than any is there a CD is this is there any way to find the score for this film
1: I think one of the uh, most uh, uh, creative elements of, of this film who's missing from this room is uh, of course Joe Augustine who was the writer and producer and uh, I think it was a really uh, smart idea of Joe to suggest this animated title sequence Or uh, oh, absolutely this. this
0: was totally Joe's call and as a matter of fact when he suggested it and then told us what it was gonna cost I was dead set against it because I thought that's money I could put into the film somewhere else and you know who cares about a title sequence just titles over black are fine but he really he really wanted it so we said okay and then the first time I saw a test where the the animating artists had done about you know just little bits and pieces throughout and I actually saw it I realized that Joe was right this was going to be a great way to open the movie and I was completely sold after that.
1: And I think there is uh a few people uh involved in this movie who were not involved in our first film together who made Casting incredible contributions. Tedra, Tedra, for instance, and then the guy who is really responsible for bringing in the animators and executing a lot of the uh visual parts of this film, including the animation, is Don Robinson, who's a line producer, and uh David Lewis, uh, uh Lee
0: Haxel. I forgot and she also did our sound on Witchboard. That was someone we'd worked with before.
2: Yep. And Ken Eichley did such a great job oh. with the art direction. Ken and Steve Johnson. Steve Johnson,
0: you know, when he was just had opened his own shop. This was like his first big gig on his own. And he, you know, needless to say, he's succeeded very well since this because he did such a great job for us. Dave Lewis, a terrific director of photography, who did a great job for this. This is still, of all the films I've directed, I think my favorite to look at. I think it's the best-looking film I've done, and that's... Pretty much because of Dave Lewis's photography and Ken Eichley's production design. This thing looks phenomenal, and I give most of the credit to those two guys. Although I, I will also say this. This is probably the one film I had more prep time than any other film, and the fact that by the time we got the house early, and I knew that house so well, I knew exactly what lens I wanted to use, and that made a big difference in how I was able to shoot the film. I, That wasn't... I wasn't doing as much guesswork on the set as I have on other films. I pretty much go went in there knowing what I wanted, and that helps a
1: lot. Yeah, I think we knew very early on how important the house would be to this film, and we got it early. It's a a house that used to be located on uh, Adams mm-hmm. uh, near it's now USC, re- replaced by a what a Ralphs or something now. Yeah, and and it wasn't uh, you know for me the perfect look, but what it it had a great look, but also uh, it offered us complete and total freedom uh... we were able to just completely lock it down have it for a long time so ken and his uh... great crew were able to to stay in there and just turn it into an amazing environment uh, Oh, remember
0: when we walked into that place you couldn't even you had to take a breath because so many cats were living there the place just smelled like ammonia (laughs) and it was like and ken went in there with his crew and cleaned it out and repainted and made it look aged and everything they did a brilliant job and, uh, and Tedra, our casting uh, director, just found all these young kids who were unknowns at the time. A lot of them you'd recognize now have gone on to do other things. Um,
1: but... and, and as with uh, other films we've done, Kevin, the cast on this got along so well with one another. I think yeah. you and Tedra did a good job picking people not only who were good for the roles, but also who were good together. Joe, uh, as well, uh, choosing kids who really... Uh, uh, were easy to dire- differentiate from one another, yeah. personality And we're wise. excited to be doing it. You know, yeah. Kathy, the girl here, our
0: lead, had was a struggling actress, but she had been working as a waitress and was able to quit her waitressing job when she got this part, and then of course went on to uh, star as J.R. Ewing's second wife for a couple of seasons of Dallas. So, I mean, you know, these kids were glad to have the job and and, and came with a
2: good attitude, and they really wanted to work. Alvin Alexis, uh, I think this was the, uh, he was ready to go back to New York on the eve that he was cast in
0: yeah. this picture. Yeah, he'd come out here for like six months, given himself six months to get a job, and had read for us, and we were still seeing other people, and like the night before he was about to fly back home and give it up, we called him and said, you know, you got the part lance fenton another guy who was just great to work with and uh you know and and kathy here is i mean she's just cute as a button and sweet and she's got that little little voice and uh and so cute here you know had her had her little barrier end scene and she was uh she was so nervous about it before we shot it and then we shot it and she just got into character and start was strutting around taking her pants off and wasn't even thinking about it was like so after like the second take was so comfortable because she was just so totally into her character she wasn't even thinking about it anymore but um, she was just an absolute delight to work with as again the whole cast was I can't think of anyone that wasn't uh, pleasant to work with and again you know the look we we went for long lenses here So that everything had a very flat look so that when we went to the house and went to short lenses, everything would have a very deep look and the house would be very distinguishable from the rest of the film. So anytime they're outside the house, not around the house, we shot everything with long lenses, which basically what it does is it flattens the surface it brings the wall up very close behind people. Then once we got to the house, we shot everything with short lenses so that the walls were very far away, making the room much more deep and ominous. And the lighting here is much more, you know, it's bright, it's flat, it's, they've got lights. And then when they get to the house where there's supposedly no power and everything's being lit by flashlights or moonlight, it's much more moody and shadowy. And we got like our first, uh, or second, I guess the first one was the rat dangling. <laughs> this is our second false scare.
1: I think it was an exhausting film to shoot uh, in many ways. It was a tight
0: it, schedule, and a lot had to be done on it,
1: and almost everything was done at night. I don't I, mm-hmm. I, I think there's just a few times when we're in the day, yeah, and
0: uh, well, the film takes place supposedly over one night. so it's all night shoots with the same costume. So we had to have ten different versions of the costume so that they
1: were slowly getting more beat up as the night went on. Um, lots of smoke in the house that uh, uh, was really killer to everyone. It's uh, also now not even
0: legal to use that smoke. Yeah, that's
1: right. <laughs> and to create the long shadows in the house and a lot mm-hmm. of the other places, we you know we just couldn't create tents outside of these locations that were big enough. So, again, we were in nights almost the entire time.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. I like the scares, Kevin, that you use just to set up uh, what's going to come later on the fall scares, um, it w- which were so effective in board and I think you took to another level here, and. Um, I also, you know, just technically, I think uh, you learned quite a bit from Witchboard, and it was really nice to work with you a second time because uh, it felt like more was coming to the table. Right, Uh, right. Well, yeah,
0: I I feel the same way about you guys, that, you know, you had grown so much as producers that, uh, I mean, you know, I think you look at this film versus Witchboard which Witchboard I still think is a really great film and holds up but this one looks more professional and more polished
1: I think we were very conscious too of wanting to uh, just challenge ourselves in terms of of the visual effects in the Mm -hmm. film whereas Witchboard we, we relied on the story and the drama and almost took pride in the fact that it was all character ninety nine effects. Yeah, there you know, was supporting. a
0: character-driven horror film, and this one is, we went much more for, let's, you know, really go for the gore and effects.
1: And which, which is one reason why choosing Steve Johnson became such a key to oh, absolutely. the whole, uh, thing, and then Don Robinson's uh, scheduling uh, of, you know, six-hour, eight-hour, I think there was even an I mean, was, wasn't was there even an eight- or nine-hour makeup job? Oh, yeah, I'm sure near the that, end when Angela was
0: yeah. fully possessed and half-burned, I'm sure that was like, <laughs> speaking of which, Amelia Kincaid, who plays Angela, was a sport, because sitting in a chair and getting all that crap put on you for that many hours and then taken off along with several layers of your skin is not pleasant, and uh, and a lot of these kids had to. I know um, Allison Barron actually just sat in the chair and cried one time while he was because you know it was just it was so tough on them, it was so exhausting, and it was so bad on their skin. And uh, and this has got to be one of the best entrances Linnea has ever had in any movie. Linnea
2: Quigley, the Scream Queen. Um, it, this film, after it was completed, um, we shopped it to a number of distributors, and decided at some point that we were going to test the film ourselves, and we took it to Detroit. And we opened in, what, 18 screens, uh, September 9th of, was it 88? Yeah. I believe it was 1988. Yep. And it was amazing. And it kicked ass. (laughs) Well, you kids watching this today, this was a very, very cutting-edge film back in 1988, as Kevin pointed out. The music, uh, just the the way we went for it and some of the special effects scenes, um, really, uh, we got great, great reviews on this picture, and from the very first time that it was screened in detroit uh we never looked back in fact linnea did a whole big uh promotional piece for us when we opened new york which was what thanksgiving weekend Mm -hmm. 93 screens in the new york adi we were against scrooge a big christmas pre-christmas picture and we were one of the top grossing films and Linnea really was great. She did oh, so many interviews. and She
0: is so easy to work with. She knows her lines, hits her mark, and is a complete trooper, and she's there for the movie. And again, so, you know, Amelia was just terrific. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Amelia is no longer an actress. She's a pet psychic who's actually written a best-selling book and has traveled all over the world actually meeting the queen because of her abilities as a pet psychic so see truth is stranger than fiction <laughs> what is
1: her website kevin uh, i honestly book. i don't yeah, know she has but a i website mean i think it's like
0: she... amelia kincaid you know yeah. if you look her up i'm sure you'll find her website <laughs>
2: If you notice in that scene, you'll have seen uh, Jim, Jim Quinn. Jim Quinn,
0: who was in Witchboard, who got crushed by Sheetrock in that one and had a cameo there. And one of our good friends, Clark Jarrett,
2: yeah. who's an actor
0: who uh, another, do a cameo. Right, that's right. And, and another interesting note about Jim is that he is also the voice of all the possessed kids. When they become demons, Jim does the possessed voices, because he can actually do that without any kind of effects. He can just uh, and sound like... You know the demons, and he. So he's done in all three films. He's done possessed Angela. Uh, whenever she's possessed, he
1: does her voice. It's pretty scary to think he does those effects without any, <laughs> without any extra uh, help from the sound guys. <laughs> I think you know as much as the the effects are totally cutting edge uh, in this, both for their surreal quality as well as, uh, you, you know, their. Uh, real naturalistic quality
2: and again all pre-cgi yeah i think
1: also joe's characters which is this mix of you know uh, punkers and goth and the um, humor is what appealed to me when
0: i read the script the the script itself as far as the characters just you know being fodder for demon possession wasn't that interesting but the fact that the characters were funny before they got killed um, I thought this will make these characters a lot more likable, and it'll have more impact on the audience when they get killed because yeah. you know they're funny, they're obnoxious, but they're funny. And little touches like the uh, the the watching the spider fly cartoon that was Joe's idea. Again, you know, just a nice you know a nothing moment really. You could have had this scene without that spider fly cartoon on the TV, but it just adds a little extra oomph.
1: And he really worked on getting that cartoon, you know, and, and yeah. uh, finding and making sure it was a special moment uh... that fit with what was going on with his uh... he put more
0: energy into it than i would have let me tell ya but again you know um, that's the kind of stuff it's nice when you have someone doing that stuff for you as a director because you've got about a gazillion other things you're dealing with so if someone will take one moment one thing for you and uh... and that's one of the reasons i like working with you guys jeff and walter is because you will take something and run with it and. You know you will find the perfect house or the perfect costume and you won't give up on doing that until it's done
2: well speaking of costumes it's uh, uh, a nice uh, outgrowth of witchboard uh, one of our investors in witchboard wound up doing some of the costumes at the end of the film the wedding stuff yeah yeah and then comes on to this project as the lead costumer and think did a great job. Leonardo oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Made
0: all these costumes from scratch because that's the whole point. They're all wearing Halloween costumes so they we couldn't just go to a store and buy clothes and and you know the the the, the black wedding dress that Amelia wears, I think is just phenomenal and the Alice in Wonderland costume, which if you I, do you remember that in the script she was dressed as little red riding hood. And I said to Joe, I said, you know, one I don't think we want our heroine dressed in red cuz especially in a haunted house is just going to have demonic, you know, it's just going to read demonic. I said, too, though, there's things in the script that don't make sense that I don't really want to address because we'd have to rewrite too much. Like, why does a door lock itself in one place, but then when they lock themselves in the furnace, you can't, the house can't open the door itself, but it can make the the linchpins fall out. I said, so if we're going to have things that don't really make sense, why don't we just put her in Alice in Wonderland and then we're kind of saying, like, hey, this house is Wonderland and nothing makes sense. It does whatever it wants to to scare you and there's there's no apparent rhyme or reason. And I don't know if that works for the audience in general, but I think on a subliminal level, having her dressed as, red, as uh, Alice in Wonderland kind of just helps sell that whole... You know, this house is out of control, and she's just running around trying to survive the night. Well, well, Joe,
1: having gone down the rabbit hole a few times, I think I completely understand what you were going for.
0: <laughs> then, again, here's a, like a funny scene with the three kids that have had flat, and they're all giving each other grief. And uh, Alvin Alexis, the kid who got the part just before he was going to go home, and then uh, playing uh, Roger in the pirate costume, and then Stooge wearing his little pig nose. Um, uh, who was just, again, a great, great kid to work with and really genuinely funny in real life. And, uh, and Allison, uh, playing, I don't remember her character's, Helen, Helen is her character's name. And Phil Tanzini, another guy who just was a joy to work with. And, again, funny.
2: Yeah, Tedra did a great job casting oh, this is absolutely done every well, you, film exactly
0: her. and if you remember this was during pilot season so a lot of people didn't want to commit to our film because they might get a pilot so a lot of unknowns that normally would be available to us even though they were unknown still wouldn't want didn't want to commit to this gory foul-mouthed little horror film because and witchboard when we were casting this had not come out yet so no one knew that we had a success just up the street that was going to be a big hit. So as far as they knew, we were just still these unknowns who'd made one horror film that had been unproven, and you know, the agents were like, our kids might get a pilot, do we really want them to be in this gory horror film with nudity? And uh, you know, now that I think of that too, if you remember, the budget was so tight on this because we were spending so much on effects and all that we wanted to do a SAG film, but we weren't even sure we could pay the SAG wages, and Tedra said, you know, if you cast Affirmative of, action affirmative action you have a certain amount of minorities in there they'll actually they sure you'll still be a sag film but you can pay a little less and you know and and she just found so she had to find girls who could act who were pretty who would do nudity and who had some ethnicity i mean she had so many check marks she had to fill in any box that she came up with this cast is phenomenal because these kids all did a really great job and they were all great attitudes and just a joy to work with.
1: What I remember so much about Tedrick, who we work with on a few films, too, is how much she cared about every single character to the point of tears. Yeah. If she didn't have the exact right person, Even if she had would one literally, line. you know, be on the point of, of, uh, of a breakdown, just thinking, oh, we've got to get somebody better for this, or this needs to be right, or what have you and also very good at expressing her opinions about things i know with you kevin if she didn't agree with something you know just knowing how to to really fight for her own ideas
0: oh absolutely i'll tell you for an absolute fact i had other actors in mind for angela and for uh... uh sal bill Gallo's part i had another actor for him that i liked better and another actress i liked better for um, angela and Tedra really believed in these kids and just passionately convinced me that she was right and I was wrong. And so I went with her choices and I am incredibly glad I I did. I thought Bill Gallo was the epitome of that character. He was Sal. He just became that part. And Amelia, I mean, she just when she does that dance later in the film no one else could have done that dance as well. I mean, she just does a great job. And, you know, I mean, she's you know, she's the only franchisable female villain in horror, as far as I know. I mean, I could be wrong. There could be someone out there. Please don't send me letters and cards. <laughs> but I think, you know, Angela is the only franchisable villain. Going female. into
1: that Detroit uh, market, we uh, did have some terrific reviews. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter says that... Uh, night of the demons was the best it's halloween so let's blow away some teenagers films ever made Yeah, and uh... there was a number of really good uh, reviews we had going into that campaign but angela was actually the uh... the focus of the campaign and i think walter you came up with a tagline for the right uh, off of the for the poster
2: right
0: which i thought was too hokey at the time and now in retrospect it was like brilliant you know but at the time i remember jason and freddy are too scared to come
2: But you'll have a hell of a time, and I had the same feeling after it was just something I threw out in a meeting, and Dwayne Meltzer, who uh, did the uh, key art, did a great job, um, snapped his fingers and said, that's it, and I looked at everybody and felt, please don't put that up on the poster, because if it doesn't work, yeah, it's my fault. (laughs) Yeah, Madison Avenue gets paid millions of dollars to come up with these taglines. But you're actually uh, right, I believe. It It, it did work, and it, it told people what the film was about and exactly. created a challenge.
0: And Well, that's the thing. I think the one sheet with the cut line and the picture of her, nobody went into that film and didn't get what they thought they were getting. So many times one sheets make the film look like one thing, and so the people that would have liked it stay away because it doesn't look like what they want, and the people who go to see it then badmouth it because it wasn't what they wanted. And I thought... I said, the Night of the Demons poster completely tells you what you're getting. So if you don't like the poster, you won't like the film. And if you like the poster, you will like the film.
2: Well, as you know, this is a collaborative situation, and Things never work out exactly a hundred percent perfectly for all parties involved. and No, absolutely not. You know, Joe wrote a really, really fine script, and I mean, everyone that I know from Kevin, and uh, obviously to come aboard as director, and others. Uh, I mean, we originally had um, at one point another director involved. It was, uh, I believe, John Lafia. Yes. And Child's uh, Play. Yeah.
1: And went on to do Child's Play. And
2: I don't. For some reason, that didn't work out, and. Um, uh you know, we after having had such a great experience with Kevin on Witchboard, and by this time uh, there was already some success with Witchboard. We knew that we had something there. Well, it had been sold and you had a distributor and all, but it hadn't been released yet. Right. Actually you're right. It's uh but um, we knew we had a decent film and so uh we all felt it was best to do this. And I know there were Joe um, wasn't convinced right up front and I'm don't know how he feels today but uh, the fact is the film did get made and it's actually a film that we are all proud of here and I mean look at that shot I mean it just looks great. I love the way this movie looks. yeah well people all over the world have responded I mean I have posters from almost every territory internationally. this put Republic Pictures their new company you just on go the on
0: map. eBay you will find bootlegs. <laughs> of this thing from everywhere. I mean, you know, people want to see this movie in any format they can get it. And that's, you know, I mean, just, it hit a nerve somehow, you know? Well,
2: it's, it, Joe is a, he really does know how to write to the youth market. And again, this is, this was a cutting edge film for its time Mm -hmm. and it holds up today because of it. The music is great. Uh, Joe picked a lot of that music and um.
0: Well, actually, uh, the Bauhaus tune, I think, um, he had another Bauhaus tune in mind for the dance, and Mimi, or Amelia Kincaid as she's called now, brought that particular uh, Stigmata Mater in and danced to it, and we all just said, oh man, that's, you know, that's got to be the song.
1: <laughs>
0: but yeah, I mean, it's just, um, the film looks great. You know what, one of the things when I read the script, my, my concern as a director was that really nothing gory happens or really you know till like halfway through the film it's like a lot of these kids just talking and being obnoxious and although some of the dialogue was funny I thought geez that's a long time to just be waiting for stuff to happen so I thought you know there's all these intricate shots I've always wanted to try and in most films there's no place you can find to put them I said but here you got a scene with 10 kids standing around talking and things that really lend itself to it so I just thought, you know, for this first half of the film, I'm just going to go crazy. I'm going to do long dollies and and three, you know, 360 degree shots going around the kids' faces and and uh, just anything I can think of that just visually makes the film more interesting to look at. shot like that, where we just went to the end of the room and put it on the floor, and got a big wide shot of the whole room from the floor. I just, you know, those kind of shots I just love, and a lot of times only in a thriller or a horror film can you even pull those kind of shots out cuz anywhere else they're too intrusive and it was just you know so i really got to play a lot with the camera we got you know spe- we used a camera for the dance scene that's only you really used for rock videos and we grabbed it and said let's use it in this scene and, and well, just... i think
1: uh you know you're talking about how you were able to use those kinds of shots I, I i thought of the script that it was a very efficient script there was very little waste on the page and i think that allowed you to kind of riff uh, and do, you know, some fun things with it that on another film you would just be burdened by, you know, having to deal with, uh, you know, dialogue and other things. Uh, and I don't think there's much uh, that was in the script, Kevin, that didn't end up in the film itself, or at oh, least no. an unrated version. No,
0: it? absolutely. Whereas in Witchboard, we ended up cutting like 30 minutes worth of stuff from the rough cut to the finished film. Everything that we shot is in this movie. Everything there was—I mean, it was not there wasn't a lot of fat on this thing. This thing was like you know, I think when we we tacked on the end credits, we had exactly a 90-minute movie. The uncut version. I think the cut version is like 87 minutes. That's three minutes of gore had to get
2: lost. (laughs) I think there was very little uh, development or script changes. um, There were there was
0: almost nothing when I came on. Like I said, the one the main change I there were three changes I know that I with four changes I was responsible for one just changing her out into a Alice in Wonderland costume as opposed to Little Red Riding Hood um uh, Joe had one line where Angela while she's talking about this place says the house it's not haunted it's possessed and I said that's great that's a that's sef- s- separates us from haunted house movies I said extrapolate on that and he went back in and wrote more where she says oh it's possessed you know and made a big deal about it being possessed because I thought that's interesting we're not we're not dealing with ghosts we're dealing with demons this house isn't haunted it's possessed but even Joe did the rewrite I just was the one who kind of, and it was based on his idea I just said let's really get into that more Um, the other thing I guess was the um it's funny you said how you came up with the idea for the uh, cut line and then wasn't sure about it after everyone else liked it that was my thing with the uh lipstick through the nipple was in joe's script she coughs up bile on herself and burns a hole just in her chest and pushes the lipstick through and i thought geez you know bile spitting we saw that in exorcist and i thought what would be more interesting than shoving and i thought through her nipple what if she's drawing on it so it's very sexy and then whoosh it goes in and then after i said it i thought oh that's really creepy i don't know but everyone loved it and so I, the next day i came back and i was going to say you know what let's i don't think that's a good idea but everyone was already talking to steve about how to shoot it and it was like everyone just thought that was a great idea and they were running with it so i said okay well uh, and then the whole time we shot it i wasn't sure i thought the the ratings board is going to cut this out and and it you know it turned out to be the memorable scene of the movie and the ratings board never said a thing about it and no, i was they?
2: floored they never brought that up. In fact, uh, we had issues with them in order to get the theatrical release. We of other
0: scenes the... that I never thought they would touch, yeah. Everybody and then the one I thought they would definitely go after us for, the lipstick and the nipple, like you said, just didn't even affect them. <laughs> but uh but you had to you you I think I was on another film when you were dealing with the ratings board so I wasn't really involved there
1: yeah we had um, a lot of give and take in fact there are lines that are cut that we cut uh from the film uh, to sacrifice for uh you know actual footage getting cut of a, of an effect just so on the list of things that we were telling them we were going to do they would see, uh, oh no, no more sour balls, <laughs> and uh, no more this, no more that. I, you know, no one uh, knows how the MPA review these changes. Uh, supposedly they see everything, but we just, uh, you know, took a little bit at a time, and I think they realized it was a fantasy. Uh, you know, like as with the the uh, lipstick through the breast. And uh, and we also made it so that we could always go back to the original version if if we had to. Uh, so I guess we sort of wore them down uh, when it was all said and done. But we went back and forth quite a bit. And I think the poster, too, we were really worried about them uh, having a problem with. And that wasn't a problem at all. Oh, it yeah. had
2: the uh, crowfoot tiara, which uh, right. Donna designed. And- yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: No, I know. It's, it's amazing. You just never know. Although... Uh, My wife's niece had a little girl at the time, and when this came out on on video, they had the big standee, the five-foot standee of Angela, standing there with the blinking lights in the video store. And every time they walked past it in the mall, she would burst into tears because the big demon was in the window. So it's like, you're scarring my child, Kevin. (laughs) <laughs> this is a great shot, Kevin. Ah, uh, thank you. That was a, you know, as a matter of fact, I remember when we were setting this up, and you had to get all the actors to stand in place, and then glue a piece to the fake floor so that we could see everyone's reflection. And a lot of the kids, the actors, are going, "This is a great shot." have you done this before? And I said, if I'd done it before, would I be sitting here with all sweat? Because <laughs> it's taken like half a day to set this shot up. If it doesn't work, I'm screwed. <laughs> well, the good the thing,
2: fl- you were able to get so much uh, accomplished with one shot. Yeah,
0: and it's much more interesting than just you know close-ups of the kids standing there saying those lines, seeing them in the broken glass. I that was the thing. I was trying to think of all these different ways to shoot all these dialogue scenes and make them more visually interesting than just master close-close, you know?
1: And, and the floor was, uh, uh, the actual floor with the mirrors on it w- was perpendicular to the floor. Right, it was a fake floor. floor. It was like and four then they,
0: feet that was, you know, exactly at an angle.
1: With fake wall, fake ceiling behind them. Right. Also standing up perpendicular exactly. to the floor. Exactly. And then
0: the lighting had to be adjusted so that it looked like the way the light would be hitting the floor.
1: All this stuff, uh, you know, I can't help but think of, of Ken Eichley. Uh, every single inch of this house was painted yeah, and painted like by it. him, and exactly. it was just just such a beautiful job. The, that eerie green of the uh, yeah
0: of the walls halfway uh, painted up to give him that hospital funeral look. You know, I mean, just great stuff. And again, you know, you look at this big long tracking shot to give you an idea of how big the house is. Uh, some of those rooms were actually connected but a lot weren't and what we would do is I would shoot one room and go right up to a door and then Ken would have to take that door off go to the next room put it up and I'd start on that same door and we push it open and we'd be in a new room and he had to keep taking doors down and rehanging them for each section so that I could give the effect that we were one long tracking shot
1: through the house. Ken Ickley, uh passed away I think after the fourth film that we made together,
0: uh, he passed away while we were another film we were all doing together, uh, *Pinocchio*. Yeah. He passed during uh, prep on that film.
1: And it, and for me, it was like kind of a, you know a, a whole spirit uh, to to art direction, you know, in in the films that I made, kind of went, uh, you know, passed away with him because I just don't think there was anyone uh, to, to match his, his style and uh,
0: what he could get for no money yeah. was just incredible you know, on a small budget. Yeah, I mean, this film, again, I I will go back and say that I credit the look of this film mostly to Ken and Dave Lewis, the DP,
2: that this film looks as beautiful as it does. Yeah, it is a good-looking film. I I used to love going to the theaters when we opened in in Detroit. I went to, I think over the three days that I was there, every single theater. and It was fascinating because some of the theaters those were the old days when there were still privately owned theaters, mm-hmm. uh, or as opposed to the uh, big, uh, big multiplexes. Big you yeah, know. and one theater, the Dearborn in uh, Michigan, uh, in Detroit, had the old uh, you know little ticket booth with two uh, ticket takers on either side, yeah. and uh, they
0: here's one of those big panning shots. Go ahead, Walter. I just wanted to draw attention to it while uh, it was happening.
2: Yeah, they had a. Uh, uh, one ticket taker in the window, but then sitting next to her was actual uh, a made-up Angela, and somebody had looked at the poster and then created their own special effects makeup for Unadummy. Dummy. so cool. And it was those kinds of things that um, uh, really, I think, made a difference in why we did so much business in Detroit when we opened that first mm-hmm. weekend. And uh, uh, people just really, really responded.
0: Never underestimate the power of salesmanship. You know, I think it's a good film and I think it looks great but, you know, it could be mishandled and not do as well as it had done.
2: Well we had a really good trailer and the poster, as you said, uh, sold the film and in Detroit we did some radio stuff and I forget which one of the actors came with us but we did some promotion with one of the actors and of course in New York we had Linnea Quigley, and when we opened tonight, uh, anyway. Los Angeles, we had 73 screens and wow. Thanksgiving, or uh, sorry,
1: uh, Halloween weekend, mm-hmm. and again did huge business. Yeah, Billy the... Gallo went back there for us, and uh, oh, he's a Philly uh, boy. Right? Helped uh, helped sell the film in New York and on the East Coast, and uh, Joe Justad was a young man who who cut the trailer uh, with a couple of other people, um, both the television spots and the theatrical spot and did such a great job.
2: I remember sitting with Mike Mahalich, who was doing all the booking for all the theaters up in Detroit and we had to go in and beg him. I flew to Detroit prior to all of this Mm -hmm. and sat down with him at a lunch and said okay here's what we're going to spend on the uh, uh, TV and and radio and we're going to do publicity and we're going to do this and do that and here's the poster and he looked at me and he said okay I'll give you 18 screens opening weekend. I think opening weekend was 15 screens, and then mm-hmm. we widened it. But if you don't spend this money, I'm going to come after you. <laughs> because oftentimes people would go oh, in yeah. and promise and then, and then not, not spend, spend the money. And he's got
0: 18 screens that are dogging because no one advertised the film. Exactly. Yeah.
2: So he was completely thrilled with the fact that uh, opening weekend, I think we our screen average was... Uh, in in one theater in particular, thirty six thousand dollars for the first in
1: Fort Wyoming. Yeah, and that's, that's, yeah. that's, and that's and for Ford the Wyoming. for this
0: kind of movie and that kind of budget, and it's it's amazing, you know, and uh, yeah, just again, you know, salesmanship, because uh, the film can be as good as it is, but if no one's heard of it, and you don't get it out there, so you don't create that that desire to see the film, it just comes and goes.
2: Well, it was really fun every time we'd hold a screening. Um, to know that we had the goods
0: well this is a crowd pleaser It really you know is. it really is it's a fun movie and it's like you know and it, it doesn't tax you too much you don't have to sit and think any deep thoughts you just watch the pretty naked girls and the exploding heads and uh, and uh... and the cool shots and the funny cast and uh... and just uh... party hardy and enjoy it and it's you know and of course our first hot lesbian kiss that uh... many critics mentioned <laughs>
1: Maybe uh, this is what inspired Britney Spears and Madonna. That's
0: right. They stole it from these two right here. (laughs) We were trendsetters way back when.
1: (laughs) Now, this was a scene the MPA had a problem with.
0: Really, the two girls kissing.
1: Well, the biting off of the uh, the tongue tongue a little later. I know I hate when that happens, especially
0: on a first date. (laughs) (laughs) And Stooge is such a ladies' man, I can't imagine that happening to him. He's he's so suave and deboner, <laughs> and there's Amelia with her possessed. I'm sexy, but man, are you gonna be screwed <laughs> when I get done with you? But here's a perfect. I mean, just look how beautiful this is. Dave with his super trooper shooting through the windows, you know, and just uh, and that flashlight, the real one that he's that uh, he's carrying, doesn't really give off enough light, so they had to like take out the bulb and put in because it's battery operated but it really didn't give enough light to light so they had to run a wire down his arm and all and, and really light it with a stronger bulb and more more voltage to give us enough light so I mean just you know Dave is really a creative DP and again just every shot you look at this house it just Ken Ikely just did an incredible job his whole crew did a phenomenal job
2: Well, watching this film, you know, 20 some plus years later and seeing what is done today with CGI and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, computer effects and knowing that everything on this picture was a practical effect is just, it is amazing. And on the budget, I mean, this was probably a million dollar movie. Yeah. Um, Really remarkable.
0: No, it just, you know, again, though, we had a crew and a cast that were glad to be there. We're working there. We're, you know, actually making the film because they wanted to be making the film. Nobody was just there to collect a paycheck because, let's face it, the paychecks weren't that big. Um, But, you know, it just looks great. And these guys, they just went for it. (laughs) Hal Haven still breaks me up.
2: Well, it was a, uh, I thought, a really nice mixture of veterans... Um kind of no longer rookies, but people that were still fresh to the business, mm-hmm. and then all the young fresh, yeah neophytes, never done it before. Right. And it was a, it actually was a fun set and you know we all know how difficult it is to do nights yeah for such a long period of time. yeah. Uh, people can get frayed, never sleeping and exactly.
0: even if you slept all day, you your, your internal know. clock still says, hey, it's after midnight exactly. you should
1: be in bed. And, Although there are some people who uh, uh, defy off. that, like Joe, so who I think yeah, Joe best. Augustine is such a night anyway, person. I think he was always in his prime the later it got. which I think uh, that had
0: something to do with all the drugs, though. <laughs> That's a joke. No cards and letters, please.
1: <laughs> I think also because of the kind of film, I mean, the script itself, there was an incredible sexual energy on the set. You know, the nights and all these... Really young, good-looking kids mixing it up. Um, Yeah. It was was a cool set in that way.
0: That's true. That's true. I remember uh, Phil coming to me when he was getting close to doing his uh, love scene in the coffin with Jill there and said, you know, uh, is she going to be, like, on top of me? And I said, well, you are supposed to be having sex. (laughs) Yeah, she'll be on top of you. And he was like, well, what if I get excited? And I said, well, she'll probably be uh, insulted if you don't. (laughs) I said, you know, what can I tell (laughs) you? Uh, you know I wish I had some magic uh words for you but uh every man for himself <laughs>
1: well, that's a whole idea? You're supposed to be jumping into
0: my arms. But yeah, here's a here's a you know example of just uh, I love this. Like just hold me. <laughs> Three words men hate more than anything. <laughs> just hold <What>? me. <laughs> But all these trees here we brought, remember, because this was like a concrete parking lot. Yeah. So we had to put all these trees up ourselves. Again, Ken Eichley.
2: Well, this is an amazing part of town. In fact, when we were getting ready to release the film, and Kevin Thomas from the L.A. Times was doing the uh, uh, screening to critique the film, Mm -hmm. Uh, we wound up staying. I brought the print to the uh, screening room, and he and... his friend, Francesca Hilton, suggested that I stay. And from the moment he saw that house, we, as the film was playing, began talking about uh, uh, that area around USC. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kevin has uh, purchased property in that area, owned it before, uh, and has been doing that off and on for years. In fact, I, I believe he grew up there. And so um, was really... Uh, very very knowledgeable about that particular house mm-hmm. uh the houses around it who lived there who didn't and of course how the neighborhood has changed but it's uh it's actually completely come around and people are investing in that area yeah. and buying those old victorians oh, absolutely yes, turning the them adams,
1: into they call it the adams district Yeah, uh, and well i think that was uh uh neither demons too that he gave oh. the review on Sorry to correct my uh, elders, uh, but uh, but and and I I will say too that Night of the Demons too that was one of the best reviews I've, of any film I've ever seen in the L.A. Times. He he really loved. Oh, I remember the, the
0: the review we got in Variety on this one. I called Walter and I said, "How much do you pay this guy?" Because oh, yeah. I mean, the review was just glowing. And I remember when I did this film. Although I thought it was fun and funny because of the kind of film it was. I was scared to death. My career was over. I thought, I better go find another job before this film comes out because once this film comes out, I'll be unhirable. And when Variety just gave it this rave, you know, I was like, I was a ga- I was just agog, happily
1: of course. I was stunned.
2: Was that the uh, review from Columbus? Or was that on which board? That was on which board, yeah. yeah.
1: There was a great re- yeah, review in both uh, Hollywood Reporter and Variety of this film. I mean, they were just over-the-top reviews. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, like I said, I called Walter and jokingly asked him why she paid the reviewer because I couldn't believe we got such a great review in Variety. Oh,
1: we got so many reviews uh, uh, that we were able to use in the theatrical campaign. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite reviews was a, a review in... Uh, it from Texas, our Texas release, which was a negative review where the the uh, uh, reviewer said if you go to the bottom of the barrel and you dig beneath the barrel there you will find the producers of Night of the Demons.
0: It's amazing he could know you guys so well.
1: <laughs> and, and, and you know as edgy as Joe's script was it really fit into the films that Walter and I have done had done with, of course, Witchboard, but also have done since, where in our, uh, in the horror films that we've done, that this theme of uh, the importance of friendship, the importance of love, being true to uh, the people that are around you and who you love, uh, and how breaking those bonds creates a weakness in terms of your spirit. Uh, you know, this film actually, you know, uh, uh, lives up to uh, those those kinds of themes yeah. in its, its classic, own quirky way. Yeah,
2: just classic good versus evil, and...
1: and Joe is like like all of us uh, and good Catholic
0: babes, boy. Hot babes, semi-dressed is yeah. always a plus too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> icing on the cake. Mm-hmm.
0: Now here's like a really nice effect that was basically just the makeup effect was created. She had straps to her lips that as she just leaned forward, they tightened and stretched her mouth out. A simple effect but just looks great you know and then same thing in reverse they had the straps and they pulled her face tight and put this makeup on her that would wrinkle when they released her face and and those kind of things that just you know would now probably be done with cgi but we had to do all practical and they took a long time and they had to be lit correctly because when her face goes from flat to wrinkled we had to have a light on her front so that it would flatten her out, and then as the wrinkles came, we had to slowly fade that light out and light her from the side so that you could see the, the shadows oh, nice. and the wrinkles. So it all had to coordinate the makeup, the lighting, and the actress all had to coordinate their motions and movements together to create an effect that lasts all of like a half a second on screen and would now probably be done with a CGI.
1: Would Steve Johnson have been 20 or 19 or 20 or 21, I think, when he did this film?
2: Well, he was a uh, already heading up Boss, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, but he had just—I mean, Boss was a fairly new company. This was like his. This was like the first film for him to really show off what he could do on his own, because he had been working with someone else at that point, like Richard Edlund or someone, right?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, the guy at Boss, and they had done uh, Big Trouble in Little China, right. Ghostbusters, and then. Yeah, you know, this is really his. You know, the beginning of uh, his his shop, XFX.
0: Right. This was his. Right, right. You're right, boss. But this was his first one under his own banner. Yeah. See, so here's where we use the um, remote dolly and crane that the camera operator actually operates from another room and has a video attached, so the camera can float around or. And they usually only use it for rock videos, and that, and they would used to just attach a very small video camera to it. And so we had to attach this big movie camera to it. And I think what we ended up using was like an Imo or something, the smallest uh, film camera we could, so that it would, so that the uh, arm of this uh, little remote dolly could actually handle it.
2: did Mimi choreograph her yeah, she own choreographed dance? the dance
0: yeah, yeah. I, it, I did all this you know choreograph for to get up to the dance cuz i knew very specifically i wanted her to like act like you know if she'd just been possessed that the demon was kind of getting used to the body and kind of walking around and touching herself and like you know enjoying what she had and, and,
1: and prior to this film she had uh, done a really hot number in a Stray Cats video. Right. 16, that we had 17
0: and Sexy and 17 that she was the lead dancer in. But yeah, those kind of shots that you usually, on a small budget, just don't have time to get. All those different angles of the radio that I think just that, you know, simple stuff, but it really adds to the visual flavor, milieu, if you will, of the whole finished product.
2: Well, once the... Uh... Once we finished principal, didn't we do a whole nother uh, couple of.
0: Well, we did for two of the main effects. When Mm -hmm. his eyes get gouged, we did that like after because we had a false floor and that big fake head that, you know, actually articulated tongue and eyebrows and everything. And I think another effect shot, we did those two at the end of the shoot as their own separate day of shooting because they were just so elaborate that we didn't want to lose momentum on the set. You know, what's amazing is you look at a scene like this on a big feature, they would have spent three days on just this dance, and I think we spent like four hours and then still had to shoot two more scenes. (laughs) So, you know, so everyone has to get it right pretty much the first, second time, because there's just, you don't have multiple chances and and long periods of time to work out the kinks. But you can tell that's a dancer's body, though. You look at the legs and her rear rim, they, they look like a dancer's body. Mimi actually, you know, was a really classically well-trained dancer, so she uh, she could, you know, for her to do this wasn't that big a deal. Thank God she, you know, could choreograph it. I would have had no clue what to do. I just I just figured the strobe would be cool, and we'll get low and jump cut it so that she's mysteriously bouncing around and and uh, light it really nice and let Mimi go, and. Turned out being a really nice sequence, you know, really memorable. And very creep, creepy and sexy at the same time, which isn't always that easy to achieve. Well, Sal certainly seems to think so. Yeah. Bill Gallo, what a character. What a great, you know, again, just him and Hal both were just terrific to work with.
1: He's got such a movie star look.
0: Yeah, he totally, uh, totally, they both really sold these parts. Because, you know, as much fun as the script was, the characters weren't terribly overwritten. And the actors all brought so much to each one of their individual characters. So much of it is infused with their own personality. I remember in the script, uh, Stooge's character was just... I mean, he's obnoxious here, but, but he was just obnoxious. And Hal is just so likable and funny that he makes Stooge, while he's being obnoxious, a likable, funny, obnoxious character. And you know, another actor, I don't know, could have pulled that off. And here we are on our, the actors are on a platform that's spinning them one way and then we're going around him on a circle dolly track. So again, you know, we have to deal with the strobe lights and the candle lights and the practical lights that we're using that are above frame out of the shot and, and turn them off and turn them on as we're going around. And then of course, when she starts biting him, then we go into hyper mode, so then everybody has to do what they were doing only ten times faster.
2: Yeah, as you said, Jeff, this was a ratings issue with <laughs> the NBA, uh, because yeah.
1: this is real hard. There's nothing fantasy about this. Yeah, and, you know, you can sympathize with the rating board, really uh, having to deal with this, and specifically what what we're uh, doing here is chopping out frames at a time. Uh, and going back to them, of the tongue hanging out.
0: Just chopping a little f- tongue frame here and a little yeah. tongue frame there.
1: And the lingering effect of there.
0: And there's uh, Sal, who's
1: got, he's got one of the
0: best lines coming up here. Oh. Where he, says, he goes, no, I live in a nice home with plastic on the furniture, which is just a great uh, vintage Joe Augustine line of dialogue
1: you know, one of my favorite lines of all time of any movie I've done or Did seen is or when something? he says, it's not the weird ones you got to watch out for. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't your mama teach you nothing about women? Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: And Linnea, which, you know, uh, she had done Return of the Living Dead at this point, hadn't she? Yes. So she had been possessed before, but this time she actually had to be possessed and talk and for a long period of time. But um, she's usually a victim... You know she's usually the little ingenue who gets killed so i think for her she really enjoyed the fact that she got to be one of the psycho demons but i know too even for her and she's a vet of these kind of films that the makeup effects were grueling for her and
2: uh well she spent a great deal of time with steve yeah well
0: yeah i mean you know not just (laughs) in the makeup chair yeah well they ended up getting married after this they were dating and because he had to make her false breasts So he had to, I told him, I said, well, you know, you pretty much owe her dinner after you've slathered stuff all over her boobs. (laughs) So, uh, but that's how they met. She came in so that he could make the prosthetic. So she had to take off her shirt and, you know, he had to, like all of 20 something, this girl he'd never met before. He had to stand there and rub goo all over her boobs <laughs> so he was i remember when we went in to see him later to see some of the effects he'd done he could not stop talking about what a hottie linea was and you know how she had the most perfect breasts and i mean he was very impressed with <laughs> with her so i wasn't surprised to hear they were dating afterwards and then eventually uh, got married but um but again linea is just such a trooper and such a sweetheart to work with now, here's a funny... Jill, and she's getting... Oh, well, here's our, here's our scene. We'll uh, talk about this. One of the things we did was we built a whole false front, because rather than have her be topless for real here and then cut into a close-up of the fake boob just as she shoves the lipstick in, I wanted to be wide and then slowly push in so that everyone thinks they're looking at her real breasts here. And so they're really turned on, like, ooh, you know she's topless, she's got great boobs, whatever, and then when they see the lipstick go in, it totally freaks them out that they've been sitting here drooling over <laughs> some prosthetic boobs, you know, that they thought they were looking at her topless, and what they've really been looking at is uh, some uh, neoprene and gel <laughs> or whatever. But uh, this but it turned is out, so in your face. I yeah. mean, there's
1: really nothing like this uh, no. that I, yeah. to compare it, it to. Yeah, th-
0: th- you know, it's it's not... It's not hard to understand why that becomes the scene that everybody talks about, and yeah. the film is really known for that.
1: that and it really, moment. in terms of state of the art and pushing the art, I think it's it's a moment too where, you know, people, other artists, craftsmen looking at this realize what you can do with those prosthetics. Which, yeah. Yeah. You know, with heads chopping off and different things that people had done before, uh, you know, it doesn't really show it off as much. How how right. how uh, you. That was just a a whole
0: front piece that she, you know, she had her head down so you couldn't see where it blended on her neck. And then, well, this is the actress actually had her real hands, they put some gel on it that was, that would protect her hand and burn and then she just stuck her hands in a fire just before she raised them for the shot. And And then into water right after. Yeah, and then right into water right after. So, but it just, you know, while she's talking and she has her hands down, they're not actually on fire and they light, we light them just before she lifts them up into frame. So it gives the effect that she was sitting there with her hands burning the whole time. But um, again, you know, that she was game to do it, you know, that she was actually said, oh, you know, she trusted us and said, OK, we're going to stick your hands in fire. OK, I'll do that, you know, and boom, she's in fire. But uh, going back to Linnea's uh, breast scene, um, you know, that was just a whole front piece that was put on. And then the lipstick was collapsible. It collapsed down. To just the handle part, and then she was able to shove the handle part through the nipple, which had a slice in it that was just invisible to the eye. But it turned out great, and it's an effect that everyone remembers. Here's a nice creepy moment. That again, just a slow dolly in, and then a couple of grips jump on the bumper of the car.
1: (laughs) Alvin does such a great job, too.
0: Yeah, I've seen this in audiences. When he starts leaning toward that windshield, everybody just pushes back in their seat. It's like, don't put your face against the glass. What are you thinking? Because everyone knows something's going to happen. They just don't know what.
2: Almost every audience, when we were testing the picture, who saw this part would start talking to the film about it. Oh,
0: absolutely. How... Absolutely. Don't, don't, don't. What are you doing? Oh, no, don't. Dude. Yeah, big scream. I think Alvin's character is like a the Brody character in Jaws. He's the one that's like, let's get out of here. And everyone in the audience is like, yes, listen to him. <laughs> he wants to leave. Let's and no go. one does. <laughs> exactly. No one listens to him. You know, he's the smart guy, the guy who wants to leave. Again, you know, Linnea was just so this was like, I'd shot a nude scene with uh, Tawny and Witchboard, but this is the first time I actually shot with someone who was just so at ease. Like, you know, I was the nervous one. And she was just, OK, kick off my pants, lift up my dress. She's just such a complete trooper and just, you know, if that's what the script calls for, she does it and there's no complaining or whining or, and she made me feel comfortable because she was so comfortable. If she'd been like skittery or, you know, skittish about it, I would have been a wreck and she was just, you know, so easy to shoot. Although I do remember when they had to come in and ADR this, Lance, because he had to do all the uhs, while we were all standing around watching him, kind of was getting embarrassed. Not shooting it, but when he had to come in and do the ADR afterwards, he was he was like, man, this is embarrassing. <laughs> so that's why it's, it's a nice moment, too. But see, here's the here's a great effect coming up that we shot later on a false floor, so that we could, art, you know, the articulated head could be reached with wires and cables from the back. But you know, people are just amazed because you know you see the mouth moving, you see the tongue moving, you see the eyebrows furrow when his eyes get popped.
1: And that I think was the other big scene with the uh, MPAA, yeah. you know, struggling oh, to really get as much of that effect in for the R-rated version. You know, of course, uh, now uh, the video DVD release, you, you have the liberty of doing both. But, right. you know, we really wanted to give the uh, R-rated audiences as uh, hardcore an experience as possible. Speaking of great
0: effects, Jill Tereshita, ladies and gentlemen. Beautiful girl. And again, she came in to read when she came in, and she's so, like, just, hi, how are you? And I thought, oh, man, this girl's like a an airhead. And then she read, and she was just great. It's like... It's like she's so sweet and cute and and then when she had to do the emotional stuff she was right there for it bang you know no no time to like even develop the character just you know oh hi how are you action boom and she was totally in character and it's funny thing is she was not uncomfortable doing her nude scene the way judy had been or judy had been worried about it so when it came time to do her she hadn't even thought about it and then she froze up because she hadn't thought about it and came to me after we shot it and asked to reshoot it. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. And I said, but you were so uncomfortable. You really want to take your clothes off and shoot this scene again? And she goes, well, I'm going to be naked in the movie anyway. I don't want to be naked and suck. So we figured out a way to go back and just shoot her close-ups later in the schedule, and we went back and reshot her. And she did a great job. But it's just that's the kind of dedication that these kids had that was just amazing to me.
1: I remember her uh, arriving to the set on the first day, talking about how much uh, these actors really, uh, you know, cared about these parts. And she came up on her motorcycle, yeah, her... and she was about maybe 15 seconds late or half half a minute late. And I was doing parking, and she didn't really know who I was. And she said, "I got to get to the set right away. I can't be late, you know." And uh, zoomed off to you know, exactly <laughs> the spot uh, where she needed to go
0: yeah they were they were great these kids were just so much fun to work with and kathy again is a sweetie pie and and again we just you know so much of this mood is just set by the light coming in from the back i you know i did a low angle shot with a wide angle lens so that kind of makes the edges creepy and then the production design they come together and make a great look
1: as I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking about my kids who are now 10 and 11, and wondering what age should I introduce them to this movie? 22. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, Patrick was your son was uh, kind of grew up around these films, didn't he?
2: Yeah, in fact, I did an interview for I think it was 2020
1: about uh, when to expose kids to hmm. this
2: kind of uh, entertainment. And I made the mistake of saying that uh, my five-year-old has seen these movies, and uh, that raised a few eyebrows. But in fact, uh, he had been around the sets, saw that it's not real, saw how they did the prosthetics, Mm -hmm. and uh, obviously not the breast scene, but uh, some of the monster scenes. And for him, it was just movie making. Right. Like and he's that. now what? How old? He's 21 and a film student at Chapman University, and a very well-adjusted serial killer. <laughs> Actually, he's a very fine football quarterback. There you the, go for the for his college team.
0: There you go. But I am amazed when I you know I have kids come up to me and say, "Oh, I, I love this movie. I saw it when I was 10." I'm like, "What were your parents <laughs> thinking letting you see this at then?" My kids haven't seen any of my films yet because they're all R-rated. and My son's 14 and my daughter's 11. I said, "When you know when you're old enough to see our films, you can."
1: Yeah, that's, that's right. You can now, see them. This was an expensive effect that we did.
0: Yeah, I remember we had guys come in and say, well, we, we'll string her from wires and we'll swing her down the hall and they have, the wires will be on a big crane. It was like, no, we're in a real location with a roof. You can't hang wires. And, oh, well, then it can't be done. And I said, give me some roller skates. <laughs> we put her on skates and gave her a push. <laughs> we have a demon floating down the hall. Yeah, exactly. And it looks great. I mean, it's really eerie, you know, and it's just her on skates. And this is a nice moment, too, How about an orchid? because the, you know, the makeup on the eyes are I'm just sure fly, really nice. They really look like his eyes have been gouged out, and she does a little thing with her thumbs there as she's talking, so it's like, and the old bash out the window, coming up. But yeah, this kind of makeup just, you know, really took its toll on the actors' uh, faces. They were, by the time the film was done, they were all, they all look like, you know, they been applying makeup with Brillo pads. Their skin was just so torn up. And they were just troopers about it, because, you know, after you've had it on and taken off once and you know how miserable it is, it takes a lot of a lot of inner fortitude to sit back in that chair and let them do it to you again.
2: Yeah, night after night after night. Yeah. Knowing in, it's going to be an all-night... Yeah,
0: and it's going to be cold and miserable, and and you're going to be exhausted and tired, and like I said, uh, one of the girls actually just started crying in the chair, didn't complain about it, but just started crying in the chair, because she was just so miserable, then still got up and came out and did it.
1: And that smoke, too, you Uh, know, when you add to the prosthetics, just constantly being in this thick smoke every night. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, I had just quit smoking a few months before this, and I was and, and I was over the addiction, but I was coming home at, in the morning and I told Susan, uh, my wife, I said, man, I can't believe I feel I'm getting all these urges to smoke again after I've quit like six months ago or whatever. And then I realized it was because I was breathing in so much smoke on the set that then I'd go home and not be breathing the smoke, I was going through withdrawals again i Uh, love this yeah when she kicks the arm yeah yeah
1: (laughs) which is on the arm is on a wire attached to her and And it's a and it's but it's
0: but it's a really i mean it's really thick and made like a real arm and it weighs like 30 pounds and uh and steve johnson was worried about it getting damaged when she kicked it so he stood he crouched down just below camera to catch it so it wouldn't get hurt when she kicked it and she nailed him in the chest with it knocked him flat on his ass (laughs) but here's another shot we did with a camera that's usually just done with a, a video camera for rock videos at the time and we used it here to do some interesting stuff and here's another thing you know i don't remember who the operator was on this but he uh, he was really good too because we had to in order to have this zoom back uh, this pull back down the hall look as fast as it is she runs up and then he has to switch the the speed on the camera so that it's under crank so that when we pull back it goes fast and the lighting has to be re his He has to reset the f-stop at the same time so that the lighting doesn't suddenly get brighter because I, we're shooting at a slower frame rate. And he had to do that all by himself in a
1: moment. I believe that was Ed Giovanni. Yes, you're actually. right. It was Ed Giovanni. Uh, and uh, I was going to mention his name earlier in the context of the fact that we did light this very low so that we could get those great shafts coming through the uh... through the windows and he did do a terrific job
0: yeah cuz he had you know as anyone who shot a movie or knows anything about photography the lower the light the harder it is to pull focus so he had to really you know work at it and know his stuff and hit the marks because otherwise we'd have had a lot of soft shots we probably do have a few in the film they're just not so soft that anyone really notices but Amazingly, you know, when you think about the low light and all the camera moves and everything that was going on, that we don't have a ton of out of focus shots is just amazing. But again, the crew was just very dedicated. I remember when we set up the three, the, the gaffer, uh, Ono. What was his name? Yeah, Azusa Ono. Azusa Ono. He said, what's the first shot so we can set up the light? And I say, the kids are all standing in a circle, the camera's here in the center, and we do a pan all the way around, all of them. And he goes, (laughs) and I said, no, I'm serious. And he was like, and the minute he realized I was serious, he said, okay, and just walked off and did it. But, you know, when I first said it, he laughed because he couldn't believe that we were going to do a shot like that. But he, you know, he went and he lit it, and it worked beautifully.
1: I think uh, challenging people like that ends up being such a, important thing in these kinds of movies because it really gets gets people involved and gets the most out of all these great craftsmen who oh absolutely there's no
0: sense having these people who can do this stuff and not you know not challenging them because you know if you don't challenge them then they're doing they're doing it in their sleep this is stuff they've done before you know people get excited when they get to try something new and, and so many
1: of them are filmmakers too. You know, exactly. you work with with these people on the sets. They may be actors, and, but they're also <laughs> f- uh, filmmakers, writers. And... Exactly.
0: And they and they you know and everybody wants their job to look good. They want whatever they did on the film to be outstanding. And uh, you give them a chance. You know, you say, well, give me something that you haven't done a hundred times on a hundred other films. And uh, they don't bitch and moan. They actually want to do it. They're like excited to try and give you something new that hasn't been seen.
1: I think uh, Dennis's score is, is really good through that running that we just saw. Again, you Cause know. Because it it, it's away from that gothic. It's, mm-hmm. you
0: know. And it's very like digging, digging, ding, ding But again, it's something I would probably never have the balls to do today, you know. Um, but yeah, I, again, it was. It just it really helped keep the frenetic pace. Because things, you know, when they're running, they're running, they're full out. Lots of going on, and his music is really right there with him, bit a bit a bit of So that's really nice. And then when it slows down, the music, you know, does a real nice job of staying creepy and moody. But again, you know, you just look at the lighting and the uh, set design, and this film just looks terrific.
2: I mentioned earlier, going to the theaters was always really fun because I knew we had the goods, and mm-hmm. when the, the prints of the film were really, really well struck as well.
0: Well, I remember after it had been on video for a while, and I'd seen it on video a few times, and then it was it was screened in Hollywood again for like a revival, and I went and saw it, and I'd forgotten how much you lose so much on the video. It was like seeing the print again was like, man, this looks good. I hope you know I hope now that it's finally on DVD that. People can see in the home how really rich the photography and the uh, set design are on this thing because it's lost on video. It really is.
1: You One know, of the reasons why we went with Anchor Bay on this uh, DVD release was how much all of the guys at Anchor Bay really love this movie, and uh, it was really fun to to talk to them as fans uh, and the excitement they had, you know, when they they found out they were going to get the movie, uh, and uh, really. I'm glad they they want to do such a good job on it.
0: Yeah, that's that's important because you you know at this late stage you still want the people who are coming on board just now to be as excited about it as the people who shot it originally,
1: you know, 15, 16 years ago, whatever it was. John Stewart uh, did uh, stunts on this movie. It was our first film with him. Yeah, and that was uh, a
0: great stunt there that had never been put on film anywhere. The two people intertwined doing a backflip, huh?
1: Yeah, that's right. I remember him setting up the cardboard boxes for them to jump in. Because
0: it was too narrow, the, the, the area in there was too narrow for an airbag. And yeah. They were setting up cardboard boxes. And I said, These people are doing a one and a half flip off a three story building on the cardboard boxes. Said, oh, yeah, we do it all the time. Like, you do it all the time. You're crazy. <laughs> but again, you know, she's hanging there on this uh, wire that she's really, the wire's going through the fence there and hooked to her waist and I mean it's a big thick wire but you know would you dangle three stories with just a wire holding you I don't know that I would and she was letting go and swinging her arms and
1: yeah, and these scenes are done very quickly mm-hmm. I, mean, I think our schedule was 23 days yeah uh, and with all the effects and the prosthetic make makeup oh yeah
0: and again night and you're slowed down because everything's a big lighting setup and we have all these elaborate shots were on cranes and they're hanging from buildings I mean just so we were rushing and, and and the and if the actors if any one of them had been a prima donna or had said no I don't want to do that we'd have been like just screwed they they
1: were great they were all this is a shot we had a little trouble with it was one of the few shots we were outside and the sun was coming up yeah. on her
0: that's right usually when you're shooting a film you're racing sunset you're trying to get everything before the sun goes down we were actually trying to get shots before the sun came up <laughs> and we had to shoot them that was the last thing we shot because then the sun was up and we shot her close up we had to shoot looking down at the ground tight close up and puts you know in her because the sun was up by then but uh you know just these shots even you know they're just little shots of them running and could have been done simply and we just went for it and Dave Lewis, our DP, did a really nice job of lighting them and that, you know, she's on the camera dolly there and we're lifting her up while Dave is in a wheelchair, hand-holding the camera and being pulled in front of her, so he's getting the shot, looking up at her as she's apparently floating, uh, a lot of ingenuity with just what was available, you know, we had to lay down under the house in the dirt to get that shot just you know he and it was his i saw the shot when we were scouting location i thought this would be a great shot but i can't ask him to crawl back in there and all the rat feces and everything and he looked at it and went oh that would be a great shot if i was laying out there I was like great i didn't even have to ask him he saw the shot himself and and volunteered to do it and this furnace room if you remember was actually um just like a an open area that connected the two sections of the house and uh and because we wanted to have a fire and we couldn't have it inside the house because the fire marshal wouldn't let us actually do the big fire sequence here in, in the house. Ken Eichley had to build all these walls and, uh, and fireproof uh, flame retard the ceiling and that whole f- f- uh, furnace room is a complete mock-up that he did on the property so that we could do the fire gag. And it just yeah, looks, if you look
1: at the aging behind that door, yeah, the rust and it's uh, phenomenal. Uh, the cookie that's throwing that that light—it's mm-hmm. just really great work by Ken. Absolutely,
0: and yeah, and the lighting again by Dave Lewis. And then the thing is, like, when the door gets kicked down, and we add the metallic, big, clunky sound—you know—and it looks like a big metal door, and it's like some little styrofoam thing that Ken made, that you know, so that we could knock it down and pick it up, and it wouldn't, wouldn't be pain—you know, wouldn't hurt anybody, and wouldn't be too hard to move around same thing with this this door i think it's actually just like cardboard or something but you know he made it up and put the fake bolts on it and we had the squeaks and post and you got a big heavy metallic door so just you know the magic of movie making but you know it's funny walter you said earlier about how your son was like five when we made this and now he's 21 i wasn't even married on this, I was still saying, Susan and I were dating. We'd been dating since, you know, we were dating when I did Witchboard with you guys. And while we were in post, the three day weekend came up, Fourth uh, uh, of July, and Susan and I just ran to Vegas and got married
2: Well, I was in post on this. So, yeah, it's been a lot of films. Uh, we've, Jeff and I have been involved with over 60 films, and I think we've been involved together. Uh, on yeah at least four yeah. maybe five five films maybe together. plus the
1: ones we done did the theatrical distribution that, on boy right. peacemaker
0: right and uh... so i mean you know and 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 plus even when we aren't working together we've always stayed in touch and maintained a friendship so it's just amazing cuz i can remember pat running around on the set uh, patrick running around on the set a little 5 year old or coming to dailies and you know just this little well, kid and now here he's like 21 and in college is just amazing a crematorium. just uh really gives you an idea of how much time has passed since this uh you know it's amazing because because a lot of time has passed since we made this and it holds up
2: amazingly well it really does this is the first time <laughs> i've seen this film in probably uh oh, yeah 15 years
0: yeah me too me too and it's like it's amazing how well it holds up i mean it just you know it still looks really good
1: I think yeah, the pacing, too, is so great, you know, because of the cross-cutting with the different little things that are going on in different rooms. Yeah, it's really
0: and, an ensemble cast, Yeah, basically, you know, it's friends with gore. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and again, you know, I just have to comment, Steve Johnson's effects are great, and, and Jim Quinn doing the demon voices is, you know,
1: just... just did a great job. Yeah, all the demon makeups, too, are carefully, carefully plotted out. Uh, Almost every progressive scene Mm -hmm. uh, also is progressive in terms of the makeup. It wasn't like we sat on one makeup for Angela within, uh, you know, between one scene and another. There were subtle changes throughout, you know, adding uh, different eye looks, hair, uh, different skin looks, and so forth.
0: Yeah, it was just, I mean, just everybody really stepped up to the bat and, you know, really gave their all. Because, again, you know, we would mentioned the costumes earlier. I just looked, you know, she had like eight Alice in Wonderland costumes. And the costumers had to, like, take each costume, degrade it a little more, and then keep track of what scene we were shooting and where in the night within the story that would be and how bad the dress would be worn by that point and which dress she should wear for this scene and... And I mean that's a lot to keep track of. Yeah,
2: and that was a lot of Donna Reynolds, and that's what I mean, you know, especially
0: she, for someone who would, this was her first this time was doing first time, it. Yeah. yeah,
2: but it's it's really a testament to teamwork. And I mean, absolutely, just like you say, we're all sitting here today together after all these years. And started off with Witchboard, and this was just the second installment of working together. And I mean, all the people that we've worked with on Witchboard and this picture, and then gone on to subsequent pictures. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so great to work with people that you can count on, and I think that's uh, that mixture of the veteran and the um, you know, the new, fresh ideas uh, on this film in particular are, are part of its success.
0: Yeah, and I, and I really believe too that, you know, you, you, my father always used to say, you take a job, you agree to do a job for whatever money you agree to do it for. You don't then say, well, they're not paying me enough or this is a dumb job. So I'm only going to, you know, work as hard as I have to. You agree to do it, you do it, you know, full out. You give them everything you got because that's what they're paying you. That's what they hired you for. And, you know, when I agreed to do this film, I wasn't sure because I thought the script was, you know, I thought it was funny. But I also thought it was really brutal and really, you know, it's like, oh, geez, this could really hurt me in the long term career wise. But I thought, you know, but it's still if I can pull it off, this could be really special. And I thought, you know, the only way I'm going to know is if I just commit and go for it. And, and I think that's what everyone on this film did. They just all said, okay, I'm gonna be involved and I'm gonna give 110% and just, you know, there's no way that this film could look this good without everyone involved really doing their best work and really committing to do their best work because this was a tight schedule. We had a lot we were doing with very little money and very little time. And that this finished product looks this good is is a testament to, like Walter said, teamwork, because everybody involved did a top-notch
1: job. You know who I'm really impressed with as we watch this without the sound is Alvin uh, Alexis. How much he's doing with so little dialogue. Yeah. You know, again, the script is very efficient. There's not a lot. Uh, of, of time to develop the actors in terms of dialogue, but Alvin just gives it his all. Yeah, he, he
0: he does so much with his eyes and just his expressions. Yeah, and uh, you know, and here we created a whole scene with ends we said we need something when the doors are slamming what do we got and we just took all the shots of different scenes before the actors walked in and just cut them all together and just had the empty rooms and it was like it's a great moment you know it really sells the ominous and the size you know how ominous and big the house is and and it was just extra footage that we had and we tacked on in the editing room to create that sequence Again, another really nice job. I screwed up here. I should have gotten, I should, after, after she ducked, I had to stay wide so that we could have the reveal of him. But when I came back to him, I should have been in closer because on video, you don't really see his eyes bleeding as well as they, you know, it's a great effect. He's got these empty sockets and the blood comes pouring out while he's talking. And whereas on the big screen, it was really easy to see. It just got lost on the video. And I, I wish I had punched in for a closer shot when the blood came out, but, you know, again, we were just on such a tight schedule and to take the time to uh, move the camera closer or put on a longer lens when we had so much still left to do that night.
1: Yeah, I think I think it was in this scene that Steve Johnson and I had um, some conflict with one another, you know, just because he did not want to, uh, rightly so, compromise uh what he was doing on angela's makeup in that burn makeup and then also uh the eyes on him and you know it was just a very difficult dance to uh uh you know get a lot of the stuff done before the sun up uh and yeah. and also uh with you know the actors going into their 13th 14th 15th hours uh now by this not point not to mention
0: the-, the crew going into their like, yeah, 20th that's right yeah. and
1: uh Uh, You know, when you're getting to these scenes, like this is, I think this is the scene where, uh, uh, you know, uh, where she's coming up to the, um, you know, these scenes that that came before this, Mm -hmm. where you're getting to the point where all these actors are in these makeups that uh, uh, take five, six, seven, eight hours. And uh, so Steve's got a room of, I mean, it must have been, I think there was, must have been 20 to 25 people working on some of these nights, uh, getting these people ready, all really great makeup artists on their own respect.
0: Yeah, but it was like... There's a lot of tension, a lot of tension. Yeah, because everyone, like you said, Steve wanted his stuff to look good, but you know, at the same token, we say, Steve, yeah, we want your stuff to look good too, but we also have four other scenes we have to shoot. We can't sacrifice all the other scenes just so we shoot the makeup the way you want it shot. So it is, it's a dance because everybody wants everything to look as perfect as it can but you know the reality is you have so much time so much money and so many uh um effects that all have to be done yeah and you just have to finally say which ones are the most important and which ones will we really give it all to and which ones can we kind of you know do them not as good and but they'll play okay
1: yeah these these scenes were just hellish to, to get done before the setup but what i loved is uh uh how um uh the actors uh, was it was hal who used to go in this his full burn makeup mm-hmm. and uh go across the street to the taco stand. yeah
0: yeah and get himself a taco while he was in full burn makeup. yeah and this, this house
1: is on the corner of uh as Matt walter mentioned is on the corner of adam's and I think it's Vermont. Yeah, it so is. Adams this, there in was a taco stand across the street. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a perfect example of movie magic that we make this house look like it's out in the middle of nowhere, and in reality, it's in downtown LA in a very busy intersection. And all the stuff outside had to be 80 yard because there's a line in the script. Hear it. Even the crickets won't come here. It's so. And you know, of course, there were buses and cars zipping by when we were shooting. So all those, all the dialogue outside had to be 80 yard to get rid of all the city noises. this scene when i sat with audiences in the theater they're cringing and scared and all that and all i can remember is that we could not keep a straight face the actors would either break up or me and dave lewis while we were shooting them would start breaking up because they're all in their makeup going at us and we would just lose it you know it was like like you said the 14th hour we were all punchy to begin with and the kids all in their monster makeup going uh would just break us up over and over and over and it's just it's so funny now that this is such a scary scene finished and We couldn't even keep a straight face when we were shooting
2: it. The sunrise scene is kind of interesting. We traded this shot for one of the shots from Witchboard that we didn't use. I think the boat blowing up. We did what? Remember? We traded the sunrise. In order to get the sunrise, we traded to a stock house. Oh right, right yes, yes. Oh we, yeah, we yeah. traded uh, one we of the boat
1: explosion shots for uh, for the sunrise. For sun sun, actually, is a sun set, which we reversed.
0: Which we reversed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right. We had to tra- We had no money to get the stock shots, so we traded them stock shots. Yeah. <laughs> we gave him a shot from Witchboard. <laughs> this was like a you know again we shot we shot in a black room the big monster face and we reflected it in a piece of mylar and then just had someone stand behind the mylar and run their finger up and down and it distorted the image and then we just superimposed it on shot on top of the shot of the wall. And it's a nice little effect that you know again the famous Buck ninety eight <laughs> effect that anyone can do with their Super 8 at home.
1: Looking at this this that scene as as you know as you mentioned you're laughing at it but I think Steve Johnson sticking to his guns to try to make every single one of those makeups really interesting if you look oh, at Helen absolutely. how her face is off. You know, it makes it makes the horror truly pay off. You oh, know, yeah. it's not something that you those can just the, blow off and laugh at. This is, you know... Uh, those are the details yeah. that make a difference.
2: One but, of the things that I found interesting, and I never asked you why this choice, maybe it was just time, I loved in the script at the, at the end of this scene both the kids had white hair. Oh, and we didn't And we didn't do, do it. it in the uh, film.
0: I think, one, we thought that might be going too far. And two, Evil Dead 2 had done it where he got scared and a big streak of white hair went down. And we thought, you know, it, it's that just been done been... in Evil Dead 2. Ah. So let's just, you know. And probably also time because, you know, I mean, think about it. I was just thinking, looking at the close-up of their feet and they're stumbling over all the dried up leaves. We had to bring those leaves because we're not really in the Midwest. We shot this in L.A. And we don't have fall in LA the way they do in the rest of the country, and we had to create fall. Is it good to hear? I thought
2: this was such a great bookend. Yeah, the, the uh, soul guy in the beginning. Oh, no, he's and such
0: a grump. He gets
2: his come up at <laughs> yeah. the end.
0: No, it actually is it a. It's a nice little bookend, and you know, again, if the film had been more serious, you could have never done it. But because the whole thing was done with a feel of camp and fun, and a roller coaster ride, it was a perfect bookend. Last night. But I remember. We had, seen, we had two cups of coffee, one he could drink and one that was just there that was red hot for steam. And, and Bob sat down the steam one and said, is this the shot where the thing comes out of his throat now? And I said, yeah. I said, so he's not drinking? I said, no. And He said, okay. I said, action. And just to get himself in the mood, he grabbed the cup and took a swig before the thing. And it was, I mean, it was piping boiling hot. I think he burned the inside of his mouth like really fiercely because he wasn't supposed to take a swig and he did and it was the steaming hot cup of coffee for the look (laughs) and he just and then we did the take and he falls down dead doesn't say anything i say cut and he sits up and he says you know on the next take could i get a different cup that one's too hot (laughs) it's like well yeah you weren't supposed to drink it
1: (laughs) that was one i believe that we had to fight with the mpaa a lot but i think we felt like we could sacrifice it a little because we uh you know would get more Uh, in the body of the film if we did.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what I think is funny about this whole MPAA thing is that they ended up cutting some of the razor blades coming out of the neck, so we had to, so in order to not have to cut the sound, we go to an extra shot of the wife reacting while you hear him yelling, and you hear the things coming through his throat. When you see it, the effect's so phony, I mean two full razor blades pop out of his throat, how did he chew those up and swallow them? I mean, so it's so comical. But when you cut it and you just hear him screaming off camera, it's actually I think more disturbing because then it, it plays more believable and more violent. Yeah. To, to see the big razor blades popping out of his neck even though it was bloodier and gorier I think is less horrifying because it's obviously so you know fantasy and silly. But hearing him just moan is a whole different uh, ball of wax.
1: Again, hats off to Steve Johnson and mm-hmm. Eric Fiedler, Kevin Brennan, all these guys. Just uh, I ended up working so with Kevin
0: much. on another film later, and he again did a great job for me. Uh, yeah, this was just a phenomenally good crew.
1: Steve ran. Steve himself, within his own crew, just ran, runs a very tight department, and just brings a lot of artists to the table, and
0: just a, a good group of people to work with and and you know what too this film was probably one of the best times I ever had making a movie and part of it was the crew and part of it was the fact that because the you know like Witchboard had serious moments where the actors had to really delve deep emotionally so you have to kind of quiet down on the set and give them that and this the characters are all pretty you know one-dimensional and they're just party kids and and so it was like you never had to really f- go to a serious place for any scene it was all kind of fun and just you know we're here to blow up heads and and do some fancy camera moves so it was really a fun fun film to work on in spite of the fact that we were you know under the gun as far as time and money but in some ways that even made it more fun because you felt like it was like guerrilla filmmaking and i tell you it was a good time i had a good time sitting here with you guys and watching it again and reminiscing because like walter said i don't think i've seen this in 15 years And we appreciate you, the audience, sitting through this film a second time because obviously you sat through it once and then you came back and watched it again with this commentary. So thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Keep an eye out for Demons 2 and 3 coming soon to wherever. (laughs) And uh, guys, any last thoughts before the credits end?
1: I I want to say I enjoyed working on this film a lot, but I also remembered for how much hard work went into every single frame of it. I think uh you know especially Joe tried to push all of the uh elements outside of the script as much as he could and we brought in some just great artists uh who were involved in this from Don Robinson to David Lewis uh Steve Johnson and I think that uh you know what you see here is is not something that just happened by accident Absolutely not
2: Made a lot of great friends making this movie, and uh, we're all still here today to be a testament to that. And hopefully we'll be here for the next one. Absolutely. Okay. Adios, folks.